the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Stephen A. is at it again. That would be Stephen A. Smith of ESPN. Uh, He picked up uh, Mike Tomlin's reference yesterday to two white NFL head coaches who haven't been asked if they're interested in taking a college job. What I'm talking about is from a societal perspective. You know, here is a man that has has won a Super Bowl championship, has been to a Super Bowl, has never had a losing record, and periodically from time to time, the minute the Steelers expose that they got bad breath, he on a hot seat. Sean Payton, who's a hell of a coach, also a Super Bowl champion, he's had four losing seasons in his career, including back-to-back-to-back from 2014 to 2016, where they went 7-9 and nine each year. Andy Reid has had three losing seasons on his resume. Both of them have won less of a percentage of their football games. But Mike Tomlin is the one that people, he's either on the hot seat or, guess what, he might be looking to go to the coach to the college ranks because the Pittsburgh Steelers their offense ain't what we anticipated it would be. They got to show up their offensive line. They got to show up their quarterback position to find a successor to Ben Roethlisberger. Their defense, even though it's big time, could be a little bit better. Because of that, you're going to ignore a resume? See, I'm screaming at I'm the guy with the loud voice. I project in a very demonstrative and a bombastic manner. And because of that, you get to ignore the fact that I did three internships before I started off as a high school writer at the New York Daily News, before I went to the Philadelphia Inquirer and got promoted seven times, before I became the 21st African-American to be a general sports columnist in this nation's history. See, I'm just a loud mouth that shows up on get up on first take and I lucked up because I raised my voice right here. People want to forget that I was a journalist for 25 years and that I earned the right to be in this seat. They want to do that. Black people go through all this stuff all the damn time. And this is just the latest example because what Mike Tomlin is saying, Swaggoo, I have a resume. What person with my resume would you be talking about taking a college job when I'm coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers? (laughs) One of the most renowned jobs in all of sports throughout history. They've had three coaches, Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin. Everyone knows this. This man has not had a losing season in 14 years. And you're talking about him leaving the NFL to go to the college ranks as if that's what he needs to consider. You're damn right is insulting. And you're damn right there's some racial connotations to it. Because as he basically said, you ain't asking none of the white dudes with my resume that question. And he is right. Well, how about this? From November 29th, 2006, Associated Press, Dateline Pittsburgh. Bill Cower is not interested in coaching alma mater North Carolina State, even though the Super Bowl winning Pittsburgh Steelers coach has only one season left on his contract. I've been getting a lot of contacts about it. I've heard about it, Cower said on Wednesday, but I've got a job here. And by the way, Mike Tomlin has never been on the hot seat. If uh, if you ask anybody who knows anything about the Steelers, he's never been on the hot seat. And the two people who started this rumor were former Steeler employees. One, a former player. The other, a former guy in the uh, personnel department who went on to become a general manager. And they are both black. When we come back, Jeff McCall on the media and the attorney general. And in our second half hour, how unions are responsible for empty shelves. Stick around. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced over-designed, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. 
We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 123121. All with 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty. Warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Wesley is a truck driver. I drive a truck and I love what I do. A truck driver with IRS troubles. They told me I owed them $43,000. It got really bad. <laughs> Quite a few letters in the mail. They were talking uh, about wage garnishment, coming after my house, my car. Yeah, they, they don't play around. I seriously thought that I was going to lose everything. One sleepless night, Wesley finally made a call to Optima Tax Relief at 2 a.m. Kind of figured I'd get a machine, but I didn't. I actually got to talk to an actual person in the middle of the night. <laughs> he found just what he was looking for. Oh, they were great people. You need a team of people that know what they're doing. Optima Tax, they know what they're doing. Optima Tax Relief came through with flying colors. I saved an incredible amount of money. Happy don't even come close. I was absolutely overjoyed. Take Wesley's advice. If you're in any kind of trouble with the IRS, call Optima Tax Relief. Don't trust anybody else. Call Optima for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Why are cash-out refinances such a big deal right now? Uncle Ryan tries to teach me something. I really feel like right now might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I've been doing this for 18 years now, and I've just never seen a market where the rates are so low and values across the country have skyrocketed as much as they have. That combination, um, I remember one couple in particular, they were looking to do some home improvements at the house, but they were worried about their payments going up. Well, with rates being so low and them building up so much equity in the home over the last few years, were you able to get them the cash? out for those home improvements and their payments actually went down a little bit. Every single situation is different, but it does happen more often than you think. So it definitely does not hurt to call. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Middle Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to Animalist Consumer Access. Or corporate Animalist number 1330. Equal housing lender. Licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Well, in the last two days, the uh, Washington Post has said parents don't have the right to determine what their kids are taught in school and has defended Dr. Fauci killing beagle puppies by having them eaten to death by sandflies. Nobody should be surprised by that. Most of the media seem to be okay with the federal government declaring angry parents at school board meetings terrorists. And they all, of course, uh, or most of them anyway, love Dr. Fauci. Well, Jeff McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill and FoxNews.com. He joins us now. Jeff, always good to have you on. Thanks for coming back. It's been a while. You're welcome, John. Great to talk with you. So uh, you have a piece up at The Hill now with the headline, uh, Prohibit the Actions of Extremists, but Bear with the Rhetoric. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, piece that I wrote about because uh, what we've had, I think, over the last several months, and you know, and I'm mentioning here the Biden administration, and particularly the Department of Justice, they are trying to go after people that they think are extremists, and that includes like suburban moms who are concerned what's happening in their kids' school, or that uh, the curriculum is going in a direction that they don't approve of, or that books in the school curriculum somehow are more graphic than maybe need to be, but. 
You know, the Justice Department now has sent out warnings about uh, and in fact instructed the FBI to do investigations of these school parents around the country who are showing up at school board meetings, and I say good for them, uh, to question what's going on in their schools. And they've been kind of lumped together as being in the same category of real terrorists who are out there to try to blow things up or assassinate people or, you know, create terror. And I guess my point here in that headline is these people are showing up at school board meetings to make their feelings known about what's happening with their kids and in their schools that, by the way, these parents' taxpayers' money pay for. And so I think they should have every right to speak there and to let their opinions be known. Uh, But until those parents actually move to the next step of extremism, which would be putting their points of view into action uh, that would cause particular physical harm to anybody, they should be allowed to speak without FBI surveillance. And so, you know, a parent who's concerned at a school board meeting is not a terrorist. And if they're angry at school board members, well, the Constitution protects people for, you know, and allows them to be angry or upset with their government. Now, it doesn't allow them to pick up a firearm and threaten somebody or to go buy explosives and plant them outside a school board member's home or anything like that. But as far as we know, these parents are not doing that sort of thing. I know there was a situation where there was an altercation in a parking lot after a school board meeting somewhere out east. I don't remember exactly where. But the bottom line here is these people should be allowed to speak. And uh, also in this column, I talk about the guidance from the Justice Department and the White House earlier this year with regard to Homeland Security and their apparent crackdown on anti-government extremists. But that included in their narrative warning about people who are concerned about COVID enforcements and people who are concerned about election fraud. And I'm thinking, well, people have the right to be concerned about COVID restrictions and, you know, people can think whatever they want about the outcome of the election as long as they are not engaging in physical action. And I think that's the key distinction here. And that, that was the headline. Basically, if, if extremists are committing actions that are harmful to the physical health of anybody, uh, that needs to be a matter of law enforcement and law enforcement needs to step in. But if people are angry and sitting in their basement or people are angry and at a school board meeting or people want to you know, put on social media some conspiracy theory, that should be allowed in the First Amendment because that's just expression. And I think our constitutional framers were very clear that expressing your ideas and opinion is not necessarily a threat uh, to the government uh, and should be allowed to happen with full First Amendment protection. So uh, I, I don't think there's anything in the First Amendment that refers to the volume of your voice when you're uh, exercising your right to free speech. You're allowed to yell at, the, at government officials. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just for the record, I was on the school board here in my community for 16 years. So I know that school board members sometimes have people show up at their meetings who are upset or angry. But the key here is, if we're going to have a functional, functionally interdependent democracy, we need to listen to each other and we need to have discussions and we need to sometimes argue. I and mean, you, you would like it to be as civil as possible, but sometimes people are going to be angry. And that doesn't make them, quote unquote, extremists from the standpoint that they are terrorism threats. And I think that's where the Justice Department and the FBI all need to make a distinction between people who are angry about policy Uh, and people who are actually planning to execute or incite violence. And so, you know, somebody at a school board meeting or a a conspiracy theorist or, you know, whatever, somebody who doesn't like COVID restrictions, they are free to express that however they want, through social media, at public meetings, standing on a street corner, I don't care. But as long as they are not stockpiling ammunition and planning an assault on a government building, They're free to act like that. And the constitutional framers were very clear about that. And keep in mind, the constitutional framers were revolutionaries themselves who who won the argument, ultimately, uh, that people should be free. And that, uh, you know, happened way back when. And here's the bottom line. Governments that try to shut people up eventually lose, in my opinion, unless they are just actually, you know, exterminating their populations like we saw in the Soviet Union and, in, and in fact, maybe even in today in communist China. Yeah, um, and it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how many years you'd have to go back, but not that many, uh, before 
uh, people were able to see these outbursts at school board meetings. And there was no Internet. Um, if you go back far enough, there was no TV. But you don't have to go back that far to find a, a time when a school board eruption in Virginia uh, would not be seen in California. First of all, the, you know, the national networks wouldn't pick it up. And there'd be no way for the local TV stations to really get access to the video, uh, if there was any. Uh, so the, the media uh, and the accessibility to these things and the ability to broadcast it out and make these videos turn viral has made a big difference. And that's what gets the liberals upset, apparently. Yeah, and we know what's interesting, too, is I think the media has played a role in how this has played out with school boards around the country. and. Uh, and it's worth noting, uh, even in central Indiana, there have been cases where parents have showed up at, shown up at school boards and they're concerned about the books in the, the grade school curriculum or they're concerned about critical race theory. And the media has amplified that uh, largely, I think, to kind of portray these school board parents, or excuse me, these protesting parents at school board meetings to portray them as extremist kooks when really they're not. And I think that the media wants to amplify that. And here's the thing. If these parents were showing up at school board meetings and saying, hey, we want more graphic and descriptive books in front of our grade school kids about sex, um, that wouldn't even be making news right now. You know what I mean? The, the, the left-leaning media wouldn't say that that's a big deal or a problem at all. They'd no. say, hey, that's fine. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, this, but the distinction here is, and this kind of, sounds a little wonkish in kind of the academic world, but there's a thing called expression action theory. And law you know, scholars have looked at this for a long time. And the gist is expression needs to be protected by the Constitution and the government needs to butt out of people who are expressing their opinions on any wide range of things, including opinions that are you know verifiably false there's no way for the government to have to be involved necessarily and that the government only gets involved when there is a specific action taken by somebody who wants to impose their opinion on somebody else or there's going to be a physical violence or some sort of incitement and so I'm, i must say i'm disappointed that merrick garland as attorney general you know is playing along in this game because I, I know he's a bright guy and highly educated and a, a long-term judge and that sort of thing, but you would think that he would understand this expression action theory a lot better than what it seems like he does based on the memorandums coming out of his own attorney general's office. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have the time to do it here. I wish I did. Uh, some days I, I, I'm, someday I might. Well, I guess it might be too late down the road. But anyway, uh, Ted Cruz spent about nine and a half minutes today absolutely destroying Merrick Garland on just what you're talking about here uh, today. Um, and it was out there for everybody to see. Uh, I don't know how if they, all the networks ran it, but I saw it on Fox, and I'm sure it'll get a lot of play. But it was nine and a half minutes of just absolutely destroying him and uh, basically saying what you're saying, is that, you know, this is not the business of the of the uh, federal government to be sticking its nose in a, in a school board meeting unless there is some reason for the FBI to be involved because somebody blew somebody up or shot somebody or committed a crime. Yeah, and here's the thing. What is coming out of these memorandums from the National Security Council and the Attorney General's office and the FBI has a, what we call in the theoretical world a chilling effect. It chills the environment for expression. Because let's just say you're a concerned parent and you want to go to the school board meeting and tell them that they're nuts or that they're teaching the wrong program or they're spending too much money or anything. But you get wind that the FBI might be putting you on their radar and starting to look into your background. And you might think, God, I'm not sure I want the FBI stalking around behind me. Maybe I shouldn't go to the school board next week or maybe I shouldn't like criticize the school board. And that's the chilling effect because that stifles communication. It shuts citizens up. And the one thing we know about censorship in any place, in any circumstance, censorship always hurts the weakest. And in these discussions on school board policies, the parents are the weakest people involved here. They, they're not on the school board. They're not legislators. They're not law enforcement. They're just citizens. And their voices are, are being threatened with being shut up 
and they're being stifled in ways that is really unfair, and that's why censorship is such a weed in any free society. Any democratic society that allows for censorship or even implied censorship, like with this chilling effect, is really diminishing the public sphere and the ability of a country to debate ideas and come to rational conclusions. Uh, and what do you think about the Washington Post, the twisting, uh, uh, the columnist uh, twisting himself or herself? I can't remember who, uh, who, who wrote it. I saw it the other day. Um, just being twisted into a pretzel, trying to defend this and saying that, that uh, you know, that uh, Garland didn't overstep his bounds and, you know, this, this is something that the FBI should be interested in. I mean, is there anything that they won't twist themselves into a pretzel over in order to show their support for Democrats? Yeah, well, and the funny thing is, if the, you know, if the, the Trump attorney general two years ago had issued the same memorandums that Merrick Garland did, the Washington Post columnists would be going nuts talking about their overreach. So this is a case where I think, and this happens in many different media outlets, so I'm not just picking on the Washington Post, but they're a good example of it, where they have predisposed ideas, you know, pre-established ideological things that they're trying to push, and it doesn't matter what the issue is or the topic or whatever, they're going to push that and they're going to find a way to kind of put any development in the news, whether it's parents at school board meetings or Fauci's research on animals in Africa or something like that, they're going to push it to, to suit whatever preconceived ideological bent they've got. And I think that's one of the real disasters in contemporary journalism is you've got too many journalists who are of that mind. And it's not just people who write opinion columns. Which, and by the way, I write opinion columns, so I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But the bottom line is, if you're writing opinion columns, you can kind of like get away with that. But the problem is when that seeps into the news coverage of people who are supposed to be providing a fair and halfway objective look at what's really going on, and they're running the same kinds of ideological games with people. And the Media Research Center just this week is out by saying, and this is interesting too, over the last three months, as Biden's poll numbers have plummeted, that the, the major big three networks and their 630 newscasts have only mentioned declining poll numbers of Biden 19 different occasions over all these broadcasts over the last several months. Over the same period of time when Trump had declining poll numbers at the same stage of his presidency, they had doubled the number of times they were mentioning. So basically every night on one of the big three broadcasts, they're saying, oh, Trump's poll numbers declining again. And now with Biden, it's kind of like, well, we don't want to talk about that, so we'll maybe make, give it a passing glance once in a while. Uh, and then to rationalize it as opposed to saying his administration's really cratering, which, you know, if you look at the poll numbers, it seems like it is. Yeah, and over the weekend we had a columnist from the L.A. Times tell Brian Stelter of CNN that the media should cover Republicans differently from Democrats, I guess because she thinks Republicans are extremists, and she apparently doesn't think that this has been going on for the last 60 years anyway. Yeah, yeah. well, that's interesting. Uh, the professional journalism world now is all all upset at the notion that both sides of any issue should be covered because they think that they know that they have a corner on what is right and wrong. And so they can decide what the correct angle is on any issue and just report that. Uh, and by the way, uh, there's a word for that, and it's propaganda. And it doesn't work well in state-sponsored news organizations, but that's kind of what we have here now is establishment media kind of working on behalf of the state. Uh, or during the Trump administration, in opposition to the state, but with no balance along the way. And my sense is uh, you don't need to give equal treatment to all sides of issues, but at some point you need to have some sort of balance in there. And when they talk about we shouldn't do both-siderism, I think they've already characterized the discussion incorrectly, because on any news agenda item, there are multiple sides of an issue. There aren't just both sides, Republican and Democrat. There are a lot of, number one, independents out there who don't ascribe to either Republican or Democrat. But beyond Republican, Democrat, and independent, there are lots of other ways to look at issues, you know, like the economy or international affairs or COVID or any number of things. And so I really think the professional journalism establishment, which it really is now, journalism is part of the establishment, has really kind of painted itself into a corner where they're on ideological high horses driving their agendas rather than to try to serve the nation. And that, that's really damaging for us going forward as a democracy.
Yes, and I'm out of time. Uh, Jeff McCall, uh, professor of communications at DePaul University. You can see his column at The Hill. And always good to have you on. Next, Until next time, thanks for being here, man. You're welcome. Take care. All right. We'll be back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin is pushing back against plans by some in his party to impose a heavy new tax on billionaires. Manchin, who finds himself in something of a partisan no-man's land these days, once again finds himself countering a leftist move within his own party. This time to try and raise the trillions of dollars Democrats want to spend on their wide-sweeping agenda. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Democrat Ron Wyden would impose that tax on billionaires and anybody earning more than $100 million for three consecutive years. Manchin says he doesn't like the idea of targeting certain Americans, the ultra-wealthy in his words, bring a lot of jobs, invest a lot of money, and give a lot to philanthropic causes. Bob Agner reporting. Another California county has closed down an in-and-out restaurant because the burger chain refuses to enforce COVID-19 vaccination rules. Contra Costa County indefinitely shut down the Pleasant Hill restaurant for not checking for vaccination cards. This is SRN News. Why are cash-out refinances such a big deal right now? Uncle Ryan tries to teach me something. I really feel like right now might be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I've been doing this for 18 years now, and I've just never seen a market where the rates are so low and values across the country have skyrocketed as much as they have. That combination, um, I remember one couple in particular, they were looking to do some home improvements at the house, but they were worried about their payments going up. Well, with rates being so low and them building up so much equity in the home over the last few years, we were able to get them the cash out for those home improvements and their payments actually went down a little bit. Every single situation is different, but it does happen more often than you think. So it definitely does not hurt to call. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Middle Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to Animalist Consumer Access. Or corporate Animalist Number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Dr. Sebastian Gorka agrees with science. If you have XX chromosomes, your pronoun is she and her. Don't be a science denier. If you are X or Y, you're a man. Whatever you call yourself, it doesn't matter. Because that's how science works. Don't be a science denier. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The Answer. Qualifying for Medicaid is complicated, and the timing of your application is critical. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. The biggest mistake? Not consulting with a qualified legal professional before you apply. There's a lot at stake, especially for those with a spouse staying at home. At Abernathy and Hagerman, we can help you navigate the Medicaid rules so you can properly protect some or all of your life savings from a long-term care crisis. Before you apply, contact Abernathy and Hagerman at a-h.law. Deb's constipation with belly pain, discomfort, and bloating kept giving her grief. She talked to her doctor to get some relief. Turns out Deb had irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC, which was a start. Saying yes to Linzess helped her do her part. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription medicine that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort, and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than six, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Talk to a doctor today. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Avian Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. We're looking pretty stacked up out there on the Parkway East outbound. 
from Glenwood up to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. That's about a 10-minute delay. On the inbound side, a little delay into the tunnel, and then pretty stacked up from Forbes Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. On the Parkway West, a little delay inbound between Green Tree Road and the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound 28 is heavy between Route 8 and the Highland Park Bridge. That's a delay of about five minutes. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Mostly cloudy skies expected for tonight and tomorrow. Tonight's low 41, tomorrow's high 64. Tomorrow night will be cloudy with rain overspreading the area late. We'll see a low of 51. For Friday, as we wrap up the week, it will be breezy and cooler with occasional rain. Expect a high Friday of 56. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, you may have noticed some empty space on the shelves at your favorite store. If you haven't, you will. Uh, the vice president of the United States was advising people to do their Christmas shopping in July, I think. It's all about all those big ships anchored off our coast. You can't fill the shelves if you can't load the truck. So what's the problem? Well, Mark Mix is president of the National Right to Work Committee. He's also president of the National Right to Work Legal Foundation, and he's here to tell us. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. John, it's good to be on with you, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about this, which is, you're right, a problem that's going to affect everybody. Whether it has yet or not, it will in the future. No question about that. And how much of this is a union problem? Well, there's a lot built in there, John. You know, there's lots of issues at the port. Uh, government intervention is one of the problems. Regulation is one of the problems. The lack of, of increased automation at the ports is a problem. And that's where you start to get into the union issue, where union officials have monopoly control over the bargaining agreements with these uh, with on the West Coast, the Pacific Maritime Association on the East Coast, the uh, U.S. Maritime uh, Commission or whatever that represents employers and shippers and folks that are trying to move products. And one of the things that's popped up in this debate, and it's been a problem, ongoing problem for a long time, is the ability to automate and create an efficient, uh, more efficient ports. And, you know, the World Bank just did a study of port efficiency, and the two biggest ports on the West Coast are Long Beach and Los Angeles. Forty percent of our imports come through those two ports, and they were ranked, get this, John, 328 and 333 in port efficiency out of 350 ports worldwide. That's not a very glowing uh, report for the two biggest ports in our country. So who's 327th? Bangladesh? I mean... <laughs> yeah, it's, you're exactly right. You look at that report and you wonder, how in the world can ports like in Nigeria and South Africa and Somalia beat ports on the west coast of the United States of America? Yeah, I I, uh, I told a story here not too long ago on the show. I, I worked for two different unions, uh, and, and I have to say that uh, I, both of them, well, at least the, the one, I worked for AFTRA, which was for, you know, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and it did a lot of good for me. But I yep. saw so much stupidity caused by unions. Uh, one of it, and you talk about, you know, the inability to adapt to innovation, the unwillingness to adapt to it. Uh, I mean, I, I went. I go so far back in TV. We were shooting film when I started, and when they when they <laughs> when they went to videotape, they they didn't know what to do with the the people who were employed there as the people who, as the processors of the film. So they they the union wouldn't let them let you know fire them. They had to find a job for them, and then yeah. and the, and, and there, I wasn't allowed I wasn't allowed to move a chair in the studio. Two feet. I had to call a stagehand to do it. So, I mean, this, and I, and I think of all that, and I just transfer that out to California, what you're talking about, and I'm sure that's what a lot of it is involved in. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, you know, the terminal productivity is really the issue, and it comes down to one of the things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And, and the, you talk to folks out there that are involved in the shipping industry, they say it's the, basically the third rail of terminal productivity, and that is union power. I mean, one of the things, John, you know, to point, just to kind of expand on what you said, in 2002, there was a strike on the West Coast, and the Pacific Maritime Association was negotiating with the International Longshoremen and Warehouse Union, and the issue was computer technology, use of scanners and sensors and barcodes, and basically the union said, we're not going to allow that because it would put people out of work. And so when the negotiations were finished, John, you won't be surprised by this, they said, 
at the end of the day, any job that would have been lost due to the technology or the innovation updates would be retained until that particular person was going to retire. And then the other thing they got was that any non-union job that was in that pipeline would be converted into a union job and those folks would pay union dues. I mean, so that's kind of an example of the power and that prohibition of what you have to do to get them to agree to any type of technological or productivity advancement. Yeah, um, I worked for the uh, the major supermarket chain here in Pittsburgh uh, when I was a kid, and the Teamsters would deliver the uh, would. Uh, my job was to unload the truck when the Teamsters drivers uh, pulled up to the to the back of the store in the morning, and you and I could unload that truck in an hour and a half. They would take eight hours uh, because if, if they didn't want to, they didn't want to go back. They didn't want to be taking an empty truck back to the warehouse and say that they were able to do this in two hours because then they'd be expected to do that every day. So any truck driver who didn't take eight hours, if he didn't get beat up uh, physically, he'd get beat up verbally for, for doing his work too, too well, too efficiently. That's the way, that's the way unions yeah. work, isn't it? Well, not all of them, John. Unfortunately, when you get that type of power and you get the ability to be the monopoly voice in a workplace, when when basically an employee that wants to work hard gets basically patted on the head and said, slow down, you're making us look bad, that can't be a model for a business. It can't be a model for, for anybody that provides services. It can't be a model for customer service. But yet, the United States government and many state governments have empowered union officials in a way that they are the chokehold. And I use that word strategically because the port right now is a chokehold for imports and the things that we're supposed to be getting and the shelves that are supposed to be filled with Christmas presents and things. There is another solution, John, and that is increasing the manufacturing base and the productive base of the United States economy. Uh, that happened over the last four years when we were onshoring businesses again. But the policies of this administration when it comes to, you know, they have to ask the union officials to work 24-7 at these ports. You know, they've got to ask permission for that, and it's got to be negotiated. And right now, uh, the United States ports work basically from, you know, 16 to maybe 21 hours at the most. But yet every other port in the, United, in the world is working 24-7, three shifts. They have automated port systems. And you have Willie Adams, the union president out on the West Coast with that union. And Harold Daggett, I believe his name is, over here on the East Coast saying, look, we're not going to touch any ship that's got any kind of automation on it. And in fact, the Biden administration is so in bed with this that the so-called infrastructure bill that they're pushing, this $1.2 trillion bill, has a section where there's $17 billion set aside for port efficiencies and port infrastructure. But yet, John, get this, Section 30102 says that none of that money is set aside can be used for automation or new automo- uh, you know, autom- automation-type uh, technology. Well, if there had been a stagecoach union, we wouldn't, we'd still be driving cars. I mean, we wouldn't be. We'd still be riding in stagecoaches instead of cars and buses. Um, you know, the blacksmiths were going to be put out of business, and they can't have that. It, it, is the same thing happening out there with with you know the uh, the um, ability to use automation to you know that, what you can't use a crane to take something off of a ship if you you'd rather get fifty guys to do it. I mean, what what's the what's the, what what innovation are they afraid of? Well, as I mentioned, in the 2002 negotiations, it was scanners, sensors, and barcodes so yeah. that we could track these containers in a more way. The 1971 strike was about containerization. That strike lasted 130 days on the West Coast ports, and it was about putting things in containers so it could be sorted faster, quicker, and loaded easier. Yeah, these are productivity issues that they fight against. So, sure. uh, exp- what, was the, what was the thing with the containers? What, what was the union fighting there that, that, the, that the, uh, the company wanted to do? Yeah, well, John, it used to be that, you know, you kind of had brake bolt shipping, brake bulk shipping, where everything kind of went into one hold, and then you you picked it out of the hold, and you sorted it out on the dock, and that caused, that created all kinds of work, and these containers came in where if you had, you know, 75 boxes of the same item, you could put them in a container, and you could move that container by crane to a, a chassis, that chassis could be picked up by a truck, and move to a warehouse or into the economic system very simply, and there was no break bulk, if you will, in that particular type of environment. And so containerization, that innovation, that simple innovation of creating container storage and container movement of products was one of the major causes of the 1971 strike on the West Coast that shut down those ports for like 130 days. And what's the, um, what, what's, what's the problem with independent truckers? Uh, just, just the fact that they're not union drivers, and so therefore they're not allowed to in certain areas to work? 
John, you're on to something there, too. You know, in, in California, back out, back, it was, what, two, I guess, three years ago now, the legislature out there passed a bill called AB5. And this bill was basically saying you cannot designate someone as an independent contractor. They have to be employees. So on the porch, you have these owner-operators that have built small businesses. They buy a truck. They get successful. They buy another truck. They hire a driver. And they create these little companies but yet they're not controlled by the big trucking companies and not employees. And John, you won't be surprised by this. Unions can't organize independent contractors, independent owner operators. They can only organize employees under the law. So if we can make all of the trucks that are servicing the ports employees of a trucking company, then we can unionize them and they can pay union dues. And so a lot of independent operators, uh, owner operators, class A drivers are saying, you know what? These California rules are not for me. I have a small business. I make decisions about what I do, what I drive, where I drive, what loads I pick up. And uh, so they're, they're leaving. They're not servicing the ports. And we're about 100,000 truck drivers short of what we need to move goods around this country, about 100,000 warehousemen short for employees that move things on the ports. And then you have this overarching monopoly power that union officials have and the desire to get everyone into the union, get them to pay union dues in order to get or keep their job. And that's where the union power shows itself. We're talking to Mark Mix. He's president of the National Right to Work Committee uh, and talking about what's happening with the supply chain. Um, I don't know who Joe Biden is blaming for this because he's 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 always um, <laughs> bragged about being a union guy. But how much has he done to make it worse? Well, first of all, he's blaming us. He's blaming the consumer. They're saying that, uh, you know, the consumer demand is so high with this booming economy, which is, you know, I don't know where, I guess they're living in Washington, D.C., so that, that's why they may see it that way. But they're blaming the consumers. And, you know, they, the, the bottom line is this. I mean, he says that he's mentioned the word union more than any president in the history of our country. But yet in the first week of his administration, what did he do? He shut down our energy industry, the new exploration on federal land, the Keystone Pipeline that put literally thousands of union workers, operating engineers, pipe fitters, welders. They put them all on the unemployment line. He's for union officials. He's not for rank-and-file workers. There's a big difference and a growing difference between the elites in Washington, D.C. that are sitting in these marble union halls down here and the workers out there on the front lines. They're actually providing the necessary services for Americans. And to say that these union officials, like the operating engineers, represent their rank-and-file when they endorse a president that puts their members out of work, oh, boy. That's not being for unions. That's being for union bosses. Yeah, and, and you know, there have been plenty of instances of uh, major violence in America because of labor unions and scabs trying to cross the line and, you know, all that stuff. Plenty of stories about that. Haven't heard much. Um, I, maybe I've missed it, but I, I don't see or hear a lot of that kind of stuff going on in California where, where anybody's trying to push this to the point where there's going to be a big fight. Yeah. Not yet, John. Um, they're gonna be, there's going to be a negotiation, a renegotiation of the contract out there coming up in 2022. And so, you know, some of the, the production slowdown, some of the things that are happening to end up being negotiating terms and negotiating strategies by union officials. So we're going to have the 29 ports on the West Coast that are, that are governed under the contract for the International Longshoremen Warehouse Union are going to be renegotiated. And, and it comes right in the teeth of all of this congestion and backlog and all that. So some of it deals with, you know, negotiating strategy as well, and then the inefficiencies and the lack of productivity and, and automation at the port. So there's a lot of stories, a lot of layers to this, but the bottom line is the consumer is going to get hurt. And if a, if a shipping company wants to move a container or a container ship to the East Coast to go through the Panama Canal to get it unloaded quicker, that costs about $3,000 per container to do that. And who do you think pays that cost? At the end, I mean, I know it's a magic. There's a magic money tree somewhere, but the consumer ends up getting is the one that gets hurt through all of this. Um, and uh, Joe said a few weeks ago that he just needed to get people. I think you mentioned it to work twenty four seven. That yeah. seems like an easy fix, but the union stand in the way of that too, right? And they got to negotiate that too, John. You're exactly right. And and right now, even even by saying they're open twenty four seven, they're not. If you talk with people out there that are in the shipping business and the trucking business, I mean, certain gates to pick up chassis and drop off containers, they're not open twenty four hours a day. Um, whether they're unloading and, and loading uh, containers twenty four hours a day remains to be seen. I don't think that's happening. In fact, most ports in the United States under union control are operating about 16 hours a day right now. And then, you know, union officials are glad to talk about it, but then you got to negotiate it all. You can't just say, 
uh, the president wishes he could, I guess, saying, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you're going to be we're going to be open 24 seven. But you can't just say that the unions have to negotiate that. And they've made that very clear. So why why is this happening now, Mark? I mean, uh, is it all is it all traced back to covid and the pandemic and all that stuff? I mean, this well, I think th- th- these, yeah, these conditions think- have existed for a long time, these situations with unions. But why now is this happening? Well, I think the, the number of people in the workforce is diminished. I mean, when you pay people to stay home, when you pay them more to stay home than you do to go work, I mean, people don't get back into the workplace. And I think if you look at what's happened in the employment situation, we'll have new numbers, I think, tomorrow morning on employment. Most of those numbers that have come in are just below what the expectations are. And putting people, getting people back to on the job, getting them back to work. And as I mentioned, the shortage of truck drivers in the country and the shortage of warehousemen in the country and, excuse me, warehouse people in the country. Um, you know, it's a function of government intervention. And, and we have a market system that solves these problems. These are supply and demand problems. And usually when you have supply and demand and you let the market system work, there are alternatives that, that step into the void. When you have problems like this, someone comes up with an idea and says, you know what, we can do this better. We can do it faster. And when they do that, that helps everybody. But when you have a regulated market like this where the government's involved in the port system and trying to to basically expand the regulation, that doesn't solve any problems, really, at, at the end of the day. And so, you know, this union power, this exclusive power they have to negotiate and speak for every single worker in a port where a worker, if a worker speaks to the employer by himself, that's an unfair labor practice charge. Those types of systems don't work. And we find that this union power and this union monopoly ends up hurting the very workers they claim to represent. Whatever anybody thinks about Donald Trump, when I see something like this, I, I, I picture, you know, Donald Trump is not a politician. And if he were in charge, he ran a company that did a lot of building and, and had to deal with unions every day. Uh, I have a feeling that he might be a better guy to be in charge right now to try to get around all this and figure out a way to make everybody happy in a situation like this and get things done. Yeah, I done. think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, most of the rank-and-file workers in Michigan and Indiana and Ohio and Wisconsin, if, if they hadn't have supported the Trump agenda, he wouldn't be president. You know, he wouldn't have been president of the United States. Right. And, you know, again, while Joe Biden talks about being the, the most pro-union president, he is he is not the most pro-rank-and-file union president in the country by any stretch. In fact, he just sits here in Washington, D.C. and listens to the top bosses of these unions who are really, the, the, the distance between their ideology and that of most rank-and-file workers is growing wider and wider all the time. i got about 30 seconds left with Mark Mix, president of the National Right to Work Committee. What, 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 what would you do if you were in charge, Mark, to fix this? Well, I would I would absolutely go in and allow the, the ports to operate and, and say that, look, there's just not going to be negotiation over this. We've got to get this congestion fixed. And so we're going to work 24-7. But my solution is really temporary. It's a, it's a short-term solution. It does come with government issue and government power. But the, the secret is to get government out of it. Get the private sector to deliver. They will. They can. And they have done that for this country year after year, year and decade in, decade out. Hey, Mark, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but I, I got a feeling it's going to get worse before it gets better. I, I appreciate you coming on the show, though. My pleasure, John. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate oh, it. Okay, that's Mark Mix, president of the National Right to Work Committee, and we will be right back. MyNicotineTest.com. That's where you should be going if you are a smoker and you don't want to be a smoker. Uh, we've been telling you about this now for a couple of weeks, and this is a great program if you're a smoker or if you and you want to quit, and you or if you know someone who is a smoker who wants to quit. You got to check out MyNicotineTest.com. It's done by uh, urine tests with a urine strip. They take the uh, information from that and they indiv- individualize that to your personal. Uh, coaching process that they work just with you just based on your information they will coach you through it and the this is a science-based approach with a quit rate of 70 percent that's that's just insane to have that kind of success to get people to to smoke uh, quit smoking and it works with uh cigarettes vaping smokeless and chewing tobacco so if you are Addicted to nicotine and don't want to be anymore, mynicotinetest.com.
We love our cellular shades from Blinds.com. They're beautiful and make our entire house feel more like home. Thousands of customers update their home every month with Blinds.com. Whether you just moved to a new place or just want to give your home a little love this fall, go to Blinds.com for brand new window treatments and make your house feel more like home. Blinds.com makes it easy and affordable to upgrade your whole house with the latest styles, premium materials, and even motorization with no hidden fees or misleading quotes. Not sure where to start? Get advice from a Blinds.com professional design consultant for free. Whether you want to do it yourself or have them handle the measuring and installation for you, Blinds.com has you covered with free shipping and a 100% guaranteed perfect fit. Go to Blinds.com now to shop and save up to 35% off site-wide. That's Blinds.com for up to 35% off. Blinds.com. Pay over time with PayPal credit at Blinds.com. PayPal credit is subject to credit approval. Visit Blinds.com slash PayPal for details. Rules and restrictions may apply. Do your pets have the same energy they used to? Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dinovite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dinovite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dinovite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today's commercial pet foods are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dinovite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dinovite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Well, you know, speaking of uh, unions and innovation, um, I go. I don't go to the uh, supermarket all that often, but a Giant Eagle, uh, my wife allows me to do it once in a while. But um, I, So I don't go enough to, to really get involved in it or care about it that much. And I may do it. Someday I may get the guts to do it. But you can, I don't know if, it, if it's in every Giant Eagle, but the, the one where I go, you can walk in and um, go shopping and scan everything with your phone. Put it in bags as you're shopping, and you come up to the uh, checkout counter. You don't see a human being. You don't need to. You can just um, somehow do it with your with your smartphone and scan it and walk out the door. You're paid. Your food's in the already uh, in the bag. Your stuff's already in the bags in the cart. You take it out to your car. Um, that's when when people start clamoring for fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage, $20 an hour minimum wage. Do these people who think that that's a good idea, do they ever go to Giant Eagle and see that? Do they go into McDonald's and see that you can go in and order everything you want without talking to a human being? Um, that, 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 those are robots, and that's, uh, that's where it's headed. And unions need to figure it out that it's the 21st century, I think. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be, might be another century before they figure it out out there on the coast. It's going to get uglier before it gets any better. We'll see about that, but I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.